Hello, happy Father's Day from Ryan Miller from Parent Dome. Parent Dome right now is broadcasting a simulcast uh, podcast on Anchor, in addition to streaming live on Periscope. The mission behind Parent Dome is to provide educational information and resources to parents and caregivers on how to keep their kids safe in a digitally immersed life. That's our primary goal. And it's such a very diverse topic, internet safety and the dangers, risks and threats. It, there's so many things to talk about. So what, what we have elected to do is to, instead of going out and talking about all of these issues that are happening in social media and demonstrating what's happening in the live streaming, particularly in Periscope, that we wanted to get down to the root, root issues about parents and caregivers and kind of some of the, the, the decisions we make relative to the outcome we want relative to the children that we raise. So I want to say hello to my Periscope audience. I will have limited communication to those people on Periscope because I'm handling this as like a podcast that I'm kind of going to be lecturing. So um, the other day I shared that the root, we're going to talk about two pre predominantly big buckets of thought. One bucket of thought we're characterizing as the virtue continuum. And during the last broadcast, we, we discussed that there's these objective virtues that we would like to instill upon our children. Now, whether we do this actively or passively, but I'm going to say that we're, we, we want to have some type of compass that we want to point our children to equip them. And as individuals, we may be deficient in certain areas or we may have excesses in other areas. So in the graphic that I'm sharing is the center axis of identifiable virtues. And then on the left side of the axis would be the deficiencies. And then on the right side of the axis would be these excesses. And the last broadcast I shared transparently, transparency about myself, some of where I fit on this spectrum and how it has an impact on me and the decisions and actions that I take as a parent. So we're going to dive into the virtue continuum and we're gonna start with the first virtue being integrity. So what is integrity? So I'm, I'm gonna give you some definitions so we have some, some context as to the meaning of these words. And we're going to get into not only the virtues, but we're gonna to touch on the morality piece as well. And we're going to expose my worldview so people can reconcile in their own decisions as it may comport with their worldview. So integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles and moral uprightness. Now here is where we get in, what the heck is morality? What, what is governing our morality? Now we're, got, we're gonna dive right headlong into my worldview. So I, I believe that I am a complex creature. The complexity of what is happening at, in my body at the, the, the cellular and DNA level is incredibly complex. It is more complex than the, the, the mechanism I'm using to broadcast the computer. And I acknowledge that there are outside forces that built this computer to function at a much lower degree than the complexity, the biochemical complexity of this organism here. So I acknowledge that the complexity requires somebody to be complex to create something that is so complex.
So yes, I believe that there is a supreme creator that put everything in motion that demonstrates the complexity that is abundant, not only through the human structure, but from organisms on the planet. Fibonacci sequence screams out to me that things have organization, thus requiring an organizer. I can walk by Mount Rushmore and I can look at this stone sculpture and say that did not happen from wind and rain and erosion. <coughs> the organization, <coughs> excuse me for a moment. The organization of Mount Rushmore tells me that somebody was up there with a hammer and chisel and jackhammer and sculpted something. As much as I can walk through the, the, the Nile River Delta and look at the pyramids and the complexity of their, their, their mathematical orientation and the, the, how tightly they're figured, that that didn't happen from wind and erosion. I can attribute that just by looking at it that that is something that is organized. So for me, part of that complexity is that morality has is part of that design. <clears throat> and my evidence to support my presupposition that there's a creator of morality is that we have physiological responses to when we act in contradiction of what we know to be a moral behavior. So when we lie, we are doing something manipulative or controlling or whatever it is. When we manifest a lie, our body has a subconscious physiological response. What does that mean? That means that our eye muscles will have a change of movement, that the dilation of our pupils will change. The direction of our eyes will change. It's very well known that when you look down and to the left, it's a neuro-linguistic programming visual tell that somebody is telling a lie. When they look down and to the left, it's a natural indication that somebody is lying. You can see this at the poker table when people are playing poker and they glance down at their chips. That is a, that's a, a cognitive misdirection for them to hide that they're trying to bluff. <clears throat> Our body pulse changes. The, the electro, electrical measurements of our skin change. That our respiratory patterns change. Now, some people are very good at controlling some of these responses. They can't control all of them, but they can control some of them. And I am su suggesting for those that or from a big bang evolutionary neo-Darwinian worldview, I want to ask at what point did morality become an issue? When was it a requirement for survival of the fittest that that physiological response would not been bred out of existence because it's a, it's a risk in survival when people are lying. So I'm being transparent upon my worldview. So I'm saying the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles and moral up, uprightness is a foundational piece of integrity. So let's look at the left-hand side, the deficiency area called corruption. C 
corruption is dishonest or fraudulent conduct. Somebody that is dishonest or is going to be doing things on a fraudulent basis. They are lacking in integrity when they lack honesty or are fraudulent. On the other side of the equation is legalism. This is excessive adherence to lo- to laws, codes, or doctrine. So in, in the domain of religion, legalism is often labeled with the word fundamentalism, which is an excessive adherence to the laws, statutes, codes, and doctrine. And they hold their judgments based upon those laws, codes, doctrine, and things of that nature. So look at corruption. We're going to dive into corruption for a moment. How do we know something which is fraudulent or dishonest? What is our measurement for something being fraudulent or dishonest? And dishonest is untrustworthy. It's not, not honest or truthful. So then when we get into that, we need to unpack that. And then what is truthful? What is truth? Now we get in, we're getting into the weeds of philosophy, but here's a definition of truth. A proposition is generally considered objectively too, true, meaning to have objective truth, when its truth conditions are met without biases caused by feelings, ideas, opinions. Feelings, ideas, or opinions. So in order to get out of the feelings, ideas, and opinions, you go into evidence. So let me give you a a little illustration because our integrity, corruption, legalism, as to what we live our life comes into this domain of truth and then it gets into this level of trust. Trust and truth are almost synonymous. So I look at, I've been accused of not trusting people. That that's a, a frequent judgment leveled against me that I have. I don't have a level of trust in human beings. And I had this conversation with Steve, my friend, all the time. And it's not a true statement. I have a level of trust of all humanity to behave in a way which is contrary to truth. They're going to do things which are based upon feelings, ideas, and opinions, and they're going to live in accordance with their nature, which will I call human nature is depraved. So I would expect somebody to behave in, behave in a depraved way. They would lie. They would cheat. They would steal. They would manipulate. That's my expectation. Now, that's a very healthy expectation because someone, and someone lives that way, I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. I'm not hurt. I'm not, I have no negative feelings when I have the bar so low on all of humanity. I am elated when people act out and behave contrary to their nature. And I celebrate the joy when somebody did something that is very difficult, that they had to abandon the lie and to live in the light of truth. And I'm like, my gosh, I can celebrate that. So let's let's do this story that I, I often share. I'm having an event at my home and I'm event I'm inviting people that I know and then associates of those people that are known friends, friends of friends. 
And I don't have a lot of context into these particular strangers other than maybe seeing texts or to the stories that people have told me in gossip or they've told me in in beautiful stories about these people. So these are effectively strangers coming into my house. So based upon limited context of them, I am going to assign a level of trust to these people coming into my home. So my home is going to be managed in a way that if I am leaving out something of value, I can expect that someone may want to take that thing of value in that I would not notice it. So as an example, one time I had a very nice watch laying out during a party. We had a party, had a bunch of people over, and I took off my watch because I was preparing food. And after that party, my watch was gone. Somebody in that group stole my watch. And it was an expensive watch. Am I shocked? No. Am I sad? Yes. Am I surprised? No. Who it was? I don't care. It didn't matter to me that I was not smart enough to take something that was valuable to me, that I would remove it from the temptation of somebody that would be living out in accordance with who they are. They saw that they could get this thing that I probably wouldn't notice it for some time and they could pawn it, they could keep it, they could do whatever they wanted with it and that they were running the risk that I wouldn't catch it. So I live that I assign a level of trust and my trust value increases based upon my relationship with people. So I, I am willing to assign more trust to someone based upon a growing relationship with them, based upon their behavior and their action. So, but what, what do I, what is, what does it cost me? My cost is how authentic and transparent in what I want to share commensurate with my own risk, my own risk. Am I willing to handle something of value and risk it being lost? Am I willing to say something to a stranger that could come back to me and bite me because it would be taken out of context? I am in control of how much I invest in a relationship based upon my own risk tolerance. So I've shared this story as well in working with my father and we were dealing with some very difficult, complex business issues. And I had developed a very powerful strategy to save our business. And I said to my father, I'm going to risk something of myself. I, this comes at a tremendous risk and I need to use more words to tell you this risk. This risk is I have a sword, a powerful, valuable sword of information that comes from my brain that I have been able to work this information out to make us money. This sword you can use to benefit the business and the employees and you can use it to fend off the detractors or you can take that sword and stab me because you have this information now that you could give it to other people for your own desires, for your own, your own needs. In that exact example, almost said like that to my father, here's the sword. You have the ability to fend off my protectors or you can stab me. In that instance, his need, his personal need 
was greater than his desire to want to protect his own son. He had his own mental head trash that he needed to take the information I provided to him, provide it to the manufacturer, which wound up screwing him, which wound up screwing me. Now it took a lot of conversation for him to connect those dots, but I knew that was going to be the potential outcome. You could do it for great and you could protect me or you could screw me and stab me. Now that metaphor is very powerful because I've had to use it a couple of other times with my father that I, I don't want to be in the position as your son to hold back information from you. I don't wanna be in that position. But I have found in our history that when I share this kind of information with you, that you often wind up doing something for yourself that winds up hurting you and winds up hurting me. So help counsel me because I don't wanna hide things from my father. I want to be able to trust you and extend this level of risk in our relationship in the hopes that you will not stab me. Now, my father has done that a couple of times. It's not a premeditated stab. Let me, let me clarify that. He's not premeditatedly trying to screw me, but it, he isn't able to anticipate the consequences of a particular action. That's why I've had to tell him this metaphor. So when I live my life, I have the risks with my wife, the risks with my daughter, and I'm willing to go way, way out there for to, to the benefit of my wife and my daughter. And that's where I've spoken before about the three different spheres, the sphere of care, the sphere of concern, the sphere of influence. Inside my sphere of care, I am in the position for my own balance of integrity that I am going to temper my legalism, which I have a tremendous amount of legalism. I want to avoid corruption. I want to have transparency with my wife that she's saying you're thinking corrupted thoughts. These are what you're talking about sounds like it could teeter on being dishonest or manipulative or fraudulent. And then I go, whoa, slam on the brakes. Didn't see that. Not going down that path. That's so um, Lady Nacha made a comment on Periscope that not thinking decisions through can hurt a lot. And that's a very true statement. And that's where we go into in, in the the proposition about truth, that it is conditions are met without biases caused by feelings, ideas, or opinions. So we are often presented with things that are in the domain of feelings, ideas, and opinions. And we don't look for that higher objective truth. We don't go in a quest of truth. So this whole journey is to help people through the virtue continuum in a relationship with their children determine what are their objective truths. And I'm, I'm peeling back the, the layers of the onion to be able to define what is your truth. Often I've said, are you who you claim to be? And the virtue continuum takes out these attributes of our virtues and say, am I a person that demonstrates integrity? Am I a person that has discernment? How do I verify what love means to me? It's a really interesting thing that, that, that we throw the word love out so casually. 
But what are the attributes of love? What are the manifestations of the word love? That I tell my daughter that I love her every time she walks in the door, when she walks in my bedroom, when she, every, love is part of our language. That I need her to know that I have this love for her and that the love is more than those words that I'm willing to do things for her that will manifest and validate that four letter word. So as we unpack this, we're going to be bouncing back and forth between the virtues and morality. And my challenge to the, the audience listening to these podcasts and the live stream is self-examination. I, am, I, I want to suggest that it's not, pardon me, humanly possible to be right down the middle with virtue. That we, based upon who we are in a particular moment, it's going to be a swinging, a balance. Like when I talk about laissez-faire parents and I talk about helicopter parents, there is a time in our child rearing that we want to be both. There are times where we want to be laissez-faire and step back and let them experience, let them, let them go out and navigate. You have visibility, but let them test, let them experience. And then when they make that transgression, you're going to helicopter in because you want to save them from making a decision which is life-altering or permanent. And then maybe you get back into this balance. And then I say our virtues are going to slide and move in relationship to our family, to our friends, to those people we work with. Um, Lady Nacha made another comment that I'm convinced that moral compasses are dying off by the minute. And um, there's a whole other subject that there are a couple things that are disrupting the ability to have a compass of morality that has a magnetic north. There's lots of things that are interfering with our ability to have that compass point. And these, these come with kind of politically correct labels, but they're not, pro, they're not politically correct labels. Intersectionality is one of those. Um, postmodernism is another encroachment on that moral compass. Um, identity politics is another area that infringes upon affecting that compass. And unfortunately, people do not know how to define truth outside of ideas, opinions, and feelings. There is no objective truth. It's a relative truth, moral relativism. Moral relativism is that what can be truthful for you doesn't have to be truthful for me, but you can live out according to your own truth. That is Oprah theology. That is Oprah theology that hey, as long as it's your truth and it doesn't affect anybody, then live according to your truth. But see, here's where we, we violate some of the critical laws of thinking. So we deal with the virtue continuum, but then we get into logic because when personal truths can be opposite, 
and opposites cannot both be true. So a personal truth is a rationalization that you want an excuse that you can say this is your personal truth has nothing to do with a knowable truth. And we get out of this ability to define anything. Moral relativism is that, here, here's a great example of moral relativism. I, I make a definitive statement that it is wrong, W-R-O-N-G, to premeditatedly terminate an innocent life, right? That's my, that's my statement. It is wrong. It is wrong to premeditatedly take an innocent life. Now, a child in utero is an innocent life. When you premeditatedly terminate an innocent life, now you've created murder. Now, somebody that is sitting in jail awaiting the execution for the death penalty, that person is not innocent. So you have a, a movement of people that have been able to explain away and rationalize and or justify premeditated terminating of innocent lives and that line in which they're willing to say that they will continue doing that gets further and further outside the womb, gets further outside the womb. That's where you get into people saying it's okay to throw homosexuals off of a roof. But see these people that are pro-choice are having a difficult time being able to say that it's wrong to throw a homosexual off of a roof because I could easily make this statement that I am going to choose to terminate a baby in utero because I think it's a homosexual and they could not find a fault with that. That's where logic comes in. But we have been so watered down in, in, in things that we can't talk about because people get offended. We don't have a desire to go and examine truth. We don't want to go and find that objective truth. We want to hold on to our closely held beliefs, which are all based upon our own presuppositions. And it's uncomfortable to go on that journey in the quest of truth. Now, I just brought up a very politically sensitive topic, which I just do that for illustration purposes. But I'm saying if we're a parent, if we're a parent in charge of raising an innocent life, we are going to be speaking into them based upon our worldview. So you have to determine what is your, where are you on the virtue? You don't have to, but you benefit from. That's very true. It's very true. There's another comment that came in. Murder is murder. Skunk is a skunk. Even wearing a diamond necklace, it's still a skunk. We benefit from knowing and examining who we are. What elements of my family and my socialization built into establishing where I am on this spectrum of virtues. I've had being raised by my parents and my grandparents and the, the circle we had from a community and the, the, the religious upbringings that I had during that period that that formed me, that formed me. And then all of a sudden I meet this woman in Annapolis, Maryland that comes from a different part of the country that she's got a different social experience and she has a different family upbringing. And we come together and we make a decision to get married and we're going to establish the moral 
and ethical boundaries of what the trajectory of our marriage is going to be. And what are the things from my family and socialization that we're going to embrace, those things that we're going to get rid of? And she's got the same thing. And then we introduce a child into the mix. And what is the moral compass we want for that child? Uh, there's another comment that came in that says there's less and less accountability. And here's one of the challenges with accountability. Accountability requires a level of transparency and authenticity and a willingness to say that I don't know everything there is to know. Accountability is going between one or a group of people and saying, this is where I stand. Here are my truth claims. This is what I stand for. And I'm willing for you to examine my behavior and evidence and to call me out when you see me evidence something contrary to, to who, I, who I claim to be. I've shared this journey before that I have a letter that I penned for my wife and I said, sweetheart, it's come to the point where I need to write this down. There's things that I process with my head intellectually. There's things that I process with my heart, which are compassionate. And there are things that I process reactionarily, which are instinctual, which are coming from my gut, just fire. And I said, let me speak my true compassion. And when you see my true compassion, when I'm over-intellectualizing, I'm coming at it and I'm I'm using language and words that are showing me to be contrary to that compassion piece or my reaction is in contradiction to my compassion. Call me out. Call me out. Bring out this letter. Call me out. Say, Ryan, what you are saying to me compassionately about your heart's relationship to me and what you're saying is this. And then I often reveal that this intellectual piece or this reactionary piece is a response to an injury that I had in my heart and that I am overcompensating for that injury or that shortcoming. Let's call it, I can't remember his name, Stephen something or other, the love bank, the love bank. But then I'm a hater. Well, not I'm not a hater. It's when I'm communicating in this way, I'm not hating. I am over-intellectualizing to either mask or to avoid something that's happening on the compassion side. This happened this past weekend. Happened this past weekend. We had a miscommunication and that miscommunication caused another miscommunication and it went down this path. And my wife was bold enough to send a text and it said, we got to talk about this. And I was like, I missed something. I totally missed something. And even in my efforts of restoration, I was causing damage in the restoration. And I was like, I'm, I'm not saying things the way, I'm not saying them the right way. And that's not my intention at all. And I'm, I'm laughing and I'm like, I was thinking this was funny and it's not funny. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. So we, when we do not have accountability, we have the ability to run away in those other domains intellectually or reactionarily. We can run away, meaning we can just steamroll right through somebody and leave havoc in the 
um, we have an atrocity laying behind us. We can steamroll right through. And I've been known to do that. I had been employed by a narcissist and I could have steamrolled right through that narcissist. But that narcissist needed to process their emotions by what they felt like was eviscerating me. And they had a list of accusations against me, a list of them. And in that list, every one of those items had an element of truth, an element of truth about a degree, 1% of truth. But that truth put in a negative light, they were trying to make it 99%. And when I got in the conversation with this assault, this barrage, this list of accusations, I said, hang on, Mike, would you like to gain more context around these issues? Would you like to have some more insight around this issue? And he said, I have, I've got the facts. I have the data. There's nothing that you can say. I am showing you a, a, a searing character flaw in you attacking, attacking my integrity. And I thought, you know what? Is this a battle that I will ever win? Heck no. Was any of this true character flaws in who I was as an individual out of context? Absolutely. Out of context, it was horrible. But if you have some great context and you understood what was going on in those incidents in which you're, you're pulling out, you would see that they're rather redemptive for the health of your company. They were done. These actions were to save your company from a catastrophic implosion, which so he went and fired. He didn't want my response. And I said, OK. And I said in my head, beat me up, beat me up. And I gave him, yep, that's true, Mike. Yep, that's true, Mike. Yep, that's true, Mike. I didn't give him additional power. And he asks, what do you say to this? And I say, I'm speechless. I have nothing to say to this. And he was just beating, 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 beating. And I needed it for me. He needed to feel success in that war and beating me down. Because after he pulverized me in his mind, he came at the very end and said, these are issues that we want to help you, Ryan. I, Mike, want to help you deal with these characterological issues. And part of that assistance is we want to give you a promotion. I'm like, what? What? You're going to take me from here and you're going to put me up here and give me this level of responsibility. So you're just going to beat me up. And the metaphor that he used in talking to the other employees was, I need to snap the rubber band. I'm going to snap, I'm going to stretch this rubber band and let it go and sting this, the 11 daylights out of him. And after that sting, I'm going to give them the healing and then I'm going to give him a benefit. I'm going to give him a reward to let him know that, oh, what a great guy I am, that I'm going to help you deal with your character problems and you're going to do it in this capacity, in this role. I knew what my integrity was. I had transparency and accountability with those people that I work with. There was nothing that he could say that could negate the evidence of my integrity. His ideas, his feelings, his opinions about something completely out of context were everything that he was doing to process his emotion. But I understood it, the therapeutic, the therapy, Pudic experience of that 
and let him go down doing that. And at the end of the day, going through this experience, I knew what the outcome was going to be. The outcome was going to be that I was pivotal in this company's success in growing, 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 growing from 3 million to 7 million to 14 million to 25 million and to 35 million. Grow, 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 all based upon my business plan, strategy and execution. And he wanted to go to the next level. Putting me in that authority, I had no authority. And what was going to happen is the company was going to implode. And right now, that company, when I was working there, had 52 employees. I wound up getting fired from that company because of some of these things. And the company is less than a million dollars and they have four people left. They're going to go out of business. They're going to have a fire sale on all the inventory. And they're going to have locks on the door because creditors are going to come in and seize their assets. I knew that was coming. I choose to be aware of these aspects of my personality for myself as an individual and in raising my child that I want to demonstrate that for her. She saw the abuse that I was getting from that employer. I was talking to my wife as this journey was happening, but I was taking the road of integrity as painful as it was. It was incredibly painful. It was painful for my wife to witness. It was painful for my wife to participate at the company Christmas party and the company Fourth Fourth of July party, to be in the presence of this particularly sick man. But I said, sweetie, I got it. I got it. Trust your husband. Trust me. I've earned that level of trust and I'm going to do things for benefit of our family, benefit of the employees, And I'm going to ride this wave until the wave cannot be ridden anymore. So all of that to say, we're just going into the first one of integrity. I gave you a couple of examples of the challenges of that. Corruption is the deficiency, something that is dishonest, not trustworthy. Legalism is all the rules, the codes and statutes that are over applied. Now, I've shared that I am overly legalistic, that I believe that the codes and the statutes and the doctrines are the way to categorize or identify to separate me from the corruptible. It's It's the language used to put a fence to be able to call things out which are corruptible. So that's where in, in a theological kind of way, and we talk about the, the doctrine of the Trinity and God's Son and the Holy Spirit and that doctrine that I, gives me that boundary to the ability to call out theological heretics which break out the divinity of the Trinity. That they, they have different theologies such as modalism or Arminianism, these other other things that are happening in certain non-denomination. And I, when I have that structure applied to my integrity, it gives me the ability to know and identify and see where corruption is taking place. 
So that's that's just my example of my personal deal with legalism. Now, legalism as, as an extreme is debilitating. It's debilitating. Psychologically debilitating. So um, podcast went on a little bit longer than I anticipated. I'm trying to keep these to like 30 minutes. So I apologize for running later. We're going to run into the next one tomorrow. We're going to talk about discernment. What is foolishness on the deficiency and what judgmentalism is on on the other side. So we're going to continue going through the virtue continuum. Uh, every day we're going to tackle one of these virtues. You can follow me at facebook.com at Parent Dome. You can support my messaging at Patreon slash Parent Dome. These are going to be posted um, inside of, where am I posting them? They're inside my lessons. So at parentdome.com is where some of this additional content is. I have lessons built on each one of these. So what you're getting in a, in a podcast and in the, the live stream is I'm giving kind of like an elevator introduction into each of these virtues. But inside the parentdome.com, there's a module specifically on the virtue continuum that goes through each of these. And there's videos and there's slides and there's PDFs and in addition to white papers. So thank you all for joining me today. Thanks for the comments. Um, I don't often do this, but if you find this messaging beneficial on Periscope, I ask that you share it on Twitter. Invite people that might be interested in, in learning some of the things about how to keep your kids safe and how to, to establish kind of the foundation for what parenting as a verb is and what our responsibilities can or cannot be. Those that we want to own and embrace, those things that we want to nurture and expand upon, and those that we wanna get rid of, those, those edges of the rock that we need to chisel away and kind of form us as individuals as we're gonna be the model for our children. So thanks everybody, have a great day, and I will see you tomorrow.